everybody I want to welcome you to the grit podcast uh, i am your host matthew sky osborne uh, keeping with my tradition every week i'm going to have a uh, special guest a unique guest a different guest and some repeat guest uh, to keep it interesting and so that we can talk about a lot of different things and uh, explore all the different aspects of life and different opinions and views and one of the things I want to do again with the podcast is I want to turn stereotypes on their head and want to talk about things that are uncomfortable and uh, talk about things that most people think about or talk about with their friends in private and uh, really see if we can uh, learn some people some things um, podcast is free you can listen to it on Spotify iTunes um, and Podbean, but most people consume it through iTunes and Spotify. Um, you just go to Spotify or iTunes and, and type the grip, G R I P, the grip, and uh, you should see my pretty face on there. <laughs> and um, you can also follow the uh, Grip Podcast on Instagram at the Grip Podcast and also on uh, Facebook at the Grip Podcast and on Twitter at uh, Matthew Sky Oz O-Z um, so this week uh, I'm talking with a real live superhero <laughs> an, <laughs> an actual like superhero a world traveler and um, it's actually a very 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 um old friend of mine from back in the day well this is joanna and uh joanna is a friend of mine from um elementary school okay so i was saying okay so when did we meet when did i <laughs> um i think uh i started going to that school in third grade so is that yeah when did I, you come? I, I first grade <laughs> oh okay so probably third then so i met yeah. you in the third grade um, I would have been, oh, I don't know, <laughs> eight or nine, <laughs> something like that, 10, um, that you were actually my first date. Um, <laughs> we went and saw Beauty and uh, the Beast, <laughs> <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And that really dates us, right? <laughs> it really does. We, we saw that in the movie theater. Um, yep. I remember that the cartoon, and uh, we were chaperoned by my little the brother. Disney. Yeah, the Disney. Yeah, movie. the Disney, not the new. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah the the old old cartoon. <laughs> right, right, way back there. Yep. <laughs> and um, we were chaperoned by my little brother and her her big sister. Um, so I've I've known Joanna for a while, but I I, I think after I left that school, um, in junior high. Um, I pretty much hadn't mm -hmm. talked to you since then. And um, I don't know, but I think we just kind of hooked up on Facebook within like the last few mm -hmm. years. You think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Just like mutual friends or I don't know. Just, yeah. Yeah. 
just say, hey, right. I, I remember her. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and then, you know, I think just recently we really kind of started talking again. And um, I've been kind of watching, you know, your updates and what's been going on. And I'm like seeing you on there. And this is why I call you a superhero. I'm like, yeah, every time I look up, you're in another country doing something amazing, helping somebody, you know, just I'm like, what is Joanna doing? I'm like, what is I happening? That's actually how we like first reconnected for some reason, like I was in Jordan and I had just gotten back from a trip from Iraq and you wrote some message like, where in the world are you? Like, what are you doing? And I was just kind of like, oh, right. oh my word, it's been so long. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, it, I would, I didn't even know if you would remember me. I mean, well, I mean, I was, I guess I was like the only black kid in that, in that, in our grade. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course I'll remember you. <laughs> I still got like a sore yeah. thumb. Um, no. <laughs> but like I'm, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited so excited to have you on the podcast and just to talk with you. Um, I have so many things I want to talk to you about and ask you about. I, I, I don't know how much time you have, but I want to eat up as much of your time as I can. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You're... Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause I, I, I got... I'm really thankful for this opportunity too, because I'm really passionate about these things. So. Yeah, you yeah, are. Thank you. And <laughs> thank it you. shows. And, um, God, like I said, I got notes here and I just kind of want to go through things. I was like, I want to get this organized because if I don't organize this, mm-hmm. I'm going to be all over yeah, the place right. talking yeah, to you about right. all kind of like, wait, <laughs> so tell me about that trip yep. and this thing you did. Um, okay, so where where should we start? Okay, let me see here. Um, I guess I kind of want to let people know kind of who you are, um, like your background and what city you're from and your ethnicity. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. just to kind of paint a picture of who Joanna mm-hmm. is. Um, and I personally, I, I don't like saying white people because mm-hmm. I don't think that, I mean, I know it's a thing, but I don't think that's actually a real thing. So I'm like, you know, do you actually know like what your background is and, and where you come from? Yeah. That's what I yeah. like to. I've actually, yeah, I've actually visited okay. <laughs> way back some, yeah. So my, on my dad's side, um, have a lot of Scottish roots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually seen, you know, some of the clans uh, where they used to live way way back when. Um, so I do on my mom's side have more um, like British English with a little bit of German. I mean, I'm you know completely a mutt of mixed all kinds. Aren't of we all? Um, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> um, so those are what I know, you know, like know of. And then I know that I have um, some Native American. Um, once the, you know, the families came to uh, the U.S., I know ha- I have like some distant relatives, um, not that I know personally, but just from the family tree, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's all I know about. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's so kind of a mix of, you know, Scottish and Great Britain, German, a little bit Native American, so yeah, yeah. And like to the to the average person, I, uh, the kind of the point I was trying to make is they would see you and be like, "That's a white person," right. and I don't think that does people justice. You know, I'm like, "Who? No, no, no!" Like that's a social construct, in my opinion. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, no, what are your background and, and what, where, where do you come from? And mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, we can get into later. Um, okay. And you're from Ohio. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's where I met her in Columbus. I, I used to live in Columbus, um, Ohio. And like I was saying, we were in grade school together. So, mm-hmm. um, what do you do, Joanna? Um, you know, what, what is your occupation? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I started off like graduating university, um, with my bachelor's in elementary education. So mm-hmm. at that point, um, you could graduate with like K through five. So basically elementary up until a little bit of middle school. But, um, you know, I, I really had a heart for the world and really, um, after I graduated high school, I spent the summer in India and really just fell in love with, um, you know, that culture and especially, um, the poor of the, you know, the poorest of the poor, um, not that all India is like that by any means, but a lot of the villages where I travel to, um, you know, just uh, volunteer with um, orphanages or, you know, support different villages. I mean, literally like breaking rocks and helping building roads, you know, different different things like that. Um, I just really fell in love with just really helping um, underprivileged or especially like the orphans being abandoned um, and that kind of took me down the road of how can I help the world more? I was able to see it, you know, uh, with a significant, you know, three month chunk of time. Um, so when I graduated and I had continued to take short term trips to like the middle East and a few different places during university. But you, but um, you, were you, are you saying your first trip was to India? Yeah. Yeah. How, right how were you when you, okay. You did that right after high, was that your first, um, trip abroad? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And why'd you do that? Why'd you go to India? Um, I don't know. I mean, just, I guess growing up, I really, um, just developed a, a love for people and mm-hmm. the world and wanting to see that. Um, I, I know like this might be going back. I'm getting off from what your original question was, mm-hmm. sorry. But, um, you know, growing up, my family was just very, very welcoming to, uh, of people of all different backgrounds, just wanting to welcome them to our home. Like, uh, if people were coming, you know, from out of country, trying to move into the U S like, you know, definitely wanting to invite them for holidays, come spend Christmas, see what a Thanksgiving looks like, you know, just, um, yeah. So I think just in, in all different, you know, even Americans with all different backgrounds and, um, you know, not having, I don't know, like how to describe it, but just very, very welcoming mm-hmm. that. Yeah. We, so, we just want to be a family that, yeah, serves others and welcomes. Right. Yeah, but, so mm-hmm. was the India trip, was that, um, was that a job thing or was that just a, something you wanted to do and you like saved up money for it? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, so it was just like a personal trip. Okay. Um, I went with a teen organization, and yeah, we visited orphanages. We went to different villages and um, you know served different humanitarian type of um, services, and um, you know prayed for people a lot. Like a lot of there's a lot of um, people going through um, health issues, and you know horrific stories. I mean, you could imagine, but. 
um, yeah, so that really um, started me down a path of like, I, I, once you get a taste of the world, you can't stop, right? You just have to keep yeah. going and seeing more and just learning more and growing as a person, getting your worldview, <laughs> excuse me, more accurate, um, which I think is so healthy. I think everybody needs to at least some, have some type of <clears throat> short-term trip like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so with my educational background, I wanted to use that to bring, um, you know, help into these other countries that are really, I mean, that's when it, healthcare and education are a huge um, lack in a lot of the third world or developing type of countries mm-hmm. with um, what's available. And especially, you know, at that time, I know it's a lot of improvements have happened, which is amazing, but um, in some ways they're still very behind um especially with education. So I wanted to, you know, develop as I, um, you know, started after graduation, um, wanted to get more um, experience with specifically special needs um, students or learning disabilities, physical disabilities, things like that. Um, So, yeah, I guess in a nutshell, I'm a, a teacher with, I've continued, you know, my education to get different certifications and degrees and, you know, specialty areas. Okay. Um, like ABA therapy and um, uh, ESL and different types of things to support autism, Down syndrome, you know, different cultures, post-traumatic stress syndrome type of um, things that students are bringing, you know, not, you know, they're bringing it into the classroom that you need, as a teacher, need to know how to best support them. You know, it's not just just yeah. learning, and, yeah, and just like learning and right, right. It's, it's deeper, especially than as that. our culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are changing, and yeah. So, did you see? Did you consciously make a decision like that? My my access or how I would get access to the world was through education. Did you do that on purpose, or did you just kind of um, stumble into that? You know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I actually did. You use did. <laughs> okay. I kind of, I did it on purpose. Like, as I was looking at, um, you know, how to reach these countries that are sometimes closed mm-hmm. to foreigners and foreign aid and, you know, different things. Um, those two aspects, like health and education, were most likely the ways that you could easily get into these countries and help support. Um, and... Yeah, so, and I just, you know, growing up, I was really involved with, you know, teaching kids at my church and just, you know, babysitting and really involved with different types of um, volunteer work with kids and loved it. So, um, yeah, that's but how, did you, how, did that's you fir- how I chose to pass. How did you figure that out? <laughs> like, did somebody tell you that or did you just put that together? Like, this is how I'll get in. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess just. I don't know. Like, I guess looking backwards, um, I mean, like, you know me, I'm a believer and in Christ and I, I prayed a lot about like, how, where do I go? What do I do? Right. How can you best use me to like bless this world? Um, so I can't think of a specific way, um, but maybe even just in India, I was presented with different, um, needs that they had and ways that you could, you know, easily return um, you know, the different countries where I volunteered or helped, it seemed as if, um, you know, the contact people 
always were trying to like, you know, offer like, well, you can come back and teach or you can come back and do this. I see. Okay. Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, those were presented as options of easily getting back into the country. Okay. So like your initial trip to India, you, you were just saying you, you took the trip for your own reasons and your own experience. And in that trip, you kind of learned that was your access. Yeah. Yeah. It might've been that or okay. combination of, yeah, not sure. <laughs> okay. Um, can you just kind of name real quick, just some of the places that you've been and I'm going somewhere with all this, like I said, I got all my notes here. Um, but yeah, can you just let us know, like just the places you've been? Like where I have lived and worked or yeah. just visited for I mean, all like of it, short, all like, of it, to be honest, cause I think it's really, all, okay. yeah. If you even remember, it's been, it's, you've been to so many places. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, so maybe I'll try to think like a timeline if that's okay. That's fine, yeah, yeah. Is that easier? Okay. Yeah. So right after high school, I did about three months in India. Um, Then in the middle of university, I spent a summer, also about three months, um, traveling in the Middle East. So that was five countries, Um, Israel or Palestine, Palestine. Lebanon, Jordan, um, Syria, and Turkey. Mm-hmm. And then um, after university, I graduated. And honestly, the only reason why I pursued this was to help. I mean, I'm just like like telling on myself. I'm sorry. But the raw truth is to help pay off my college loans. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's honest. Which, sorry. Sorry, honestly. Yeah. Um, I joined the Peace Corps. Um and I was in Uzbekistan for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And that actually helped open my eyes to even more of some horrific things that were happening um, in the area of special needs. Mm-hmm. And so as a teacher, I went you know, to help uh, several villages um, develop their English program and you know, teaching teachers better methods, sorry, just um, like newer methods of teaching. Um, and also discipline, which can be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then was associated with an orphanage, which had all the disabled kids. They, at that point, you know, weren't um, provided education or anything. And so that really opened my eyes to, like, I really want more experience and more training to know how to help them. Uh, so after that, after the Peace Corps service was over. I um, taught for a few years in Miami, Florida, which I think I mentioned to you before was a good experience to really, um, I mean, in these other countries, of course, but even in my own country, feel like a a minority was really good growing experience and being able to get like a taste of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then let's see, after that, I was in the U S for a short amount of time. Um, and I was kind of just trying to figure out what was next. So during that period, I visited some friends in some places. So I visited, um, central American countries. I went to Nicaragua, Honduras, and Costa Rica. And then I also visited Thailand and Hong Kong and visited some friends there. Um, and then after that, I, um, a friend was 
telling me about this um, orphanage that she was connected with, and she took like trips throughout her life, um, just in this like spring break trips to help um, this orphanage in Guatemala. And they had opened up a school, and they were having a really difficult time keeping some of the teachers. So um, I, I committed to helping them for a while in Guatemala. And then from there, um, transitioned into, uh, to Kyrgyzstan for, that was about three and a half years in Kyrgyzstan, which is Central Asia. Um, a lot of the Stan countries are unfamiliar just because of, you know, being under Soviet, post-Soviet Union for quite a while. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so after Kyrgyzstan, it was three and a half years. I worked at international school and helped develop the first autism center there. Um, I, through that, like, I'm kind of speeding through all the stories, sorry, but, um. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into more detail later. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of want to give people an idea of, like, the scope of what you, where you've been. Got it. Okay. So, towards the end of Kyrgyzstan, um, I was helping bring, I I was teaching, like, at a university and um, developing, like, a program so that the professors could be trained and then continue on teaching uh, you know, but basically developing a new um, career for um, them to train teachers to work with special needs. So anyway, that was connected through Clemson University, mm-hmm. which is in South Carolina, if people aren't familiar. And um, at that point, they asked if I could do a one-year um, project in South Carolina. So I was um, a co-director at a alternative high school in South Carolina for one year and then um, other connections. I won't get into all the details, but um, a family that I knew in Kyrgyzstan had previously moved and um, they uh, ended up in Jordan, the country of Jordan in the Middle East. And so I, um, I have been there for the past two and a half years and when I was in Jordan, I spent my summers in northern Iraq um, helping with some um, – they weren't refugee camps because I technically couldn't be – I wasn't allowed. Um, but they were with areas um, of displaced people, so people that didn't have enough money to get out of Iraq, but they were, like, displaced from their homes to safer areas. Yeah. So it was just, um, you know, working with them, doing some camps for the kids, um, talking with women. They've gone through, like – horrific abuse, the things that they've seen and observed. And yeah, so that brings us to the present where I came back for a time. I'm not sure how long I'll be here and back in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, originally to help with some family members that were really ill um, and just kind of help invest into my family a little bit more and yeah, kind of regroup and see what's next. But okay, yeah. And then, yeah, so. So yeah. Anyway, that was really fast, but yeah. Yeah, you've been more places than I've ever even dreamed of or even thought about, and I'll never go to all the places you've been to. So um, you never know. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You I don't. I, you never know. It's just <laughs> I never would have expected that either. So it's it's, it's wild <laughs> to me. Like I don't know anybody personally that's done what you've done and traveled where you traveled. Um, so I'm just. Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm just gushing over you, but it's just it's 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 impressive uh, and really inspiring and and bold. Um, 
And so, okay, so I want to ask you, do you have a goal? Like, do you have a goal with what you do? Um, or are you kind of playing it by ear? Um, I mean, my goal is just to live a significant life that impacts people, you know, for, for eternity, for, you know, fighting for injustice, but an end goal of like how that happens or what specifically I do or where, no, I, I'm just living day by day basically. So. Mm-hmm. And you're just saying yeah. you you feel like you need you want to live a life of meaning. You want to have an impact on people's lives, um, right? Mm-hmm. Which is very um, oh, what's the word? It's just you're not selfish. It doesn't sound like <laughs> you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe in this that that you like to travel, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and get around, mm-hmm. but you know. I think that one of the most valuable things that we have is time and you seem to dedicate a lot of your time to helping other people. Um, and I, I, I try to personally strive to do that more and I would like to get better at that. Um, and I'm still trying to figure that out. So, um, well, yeah, everybody has a different way, so it doesn't always have to look this way, but yeah, you're right. And and we talked about that briefly before this, um, where we were saying, you know, cause I, I think I was saying, I feel like what I've done pales in comparison to you. Mm. Um, but then we had talked and I think we had said that, um, you know, if everybody was doing the same thing, we wouldn't make any progress cause you need different people doing different things. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we can be effective and, and try to move forward and make the world a better place. Um, mm-hmm. my next question, I think we already, you already kind of, answered it. Um, I was going to ask you how you got into this and I think we pretty much covered that. Um, and the next question is kind of personal. I, I, I kind of want to figure out or just here, see if you can tell me why, why do you care? <laughs> mm-hmm. you That's know? a good question. <laughs> so, I mean, so many people don't, so many people are like, you know, I got to take care of me, mm-hmm. my life, my circle, my people. Um, you know, like, why do you care? Well, um, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> but I guess when it boils down to, or what it boils down to is, um, you know, I really try to maintain, um, a mindset of eternity like what really matters at the end of the day that was of eternal value, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, if, and I'm not judging anybody or anything like that, but just for me, if at the end of the day my goal was to make as much money as I could or to climb the ladder of power and, um, you know, prestige, you know, all those things are great and there's nothing wrong with any of that, you know, um, pursuing any of that. But for me, um, if that was my end goal, like at the end of my life, that stuff will just stay behind or, um, you know, unless I'm using those tools to better, um, bless the lives of others to help them have healing or more opportunity. Um, 
I just feel like it's kind of worth worthless and won't last. You know, there's not like a deeper meaning there. Right. Um, so I think at the end of the day, if I can stand for justice in some way in some person's life, like a person, like their soul, their being is so worth it. Like it's, it's all whatever sacrifices, whatever things that you feel like you're giving up or you're spending extra time with, it's all worth it for a human being. Right. Like, um, so I guess that's why I do it. Just trying to, to get down to the bedrock of what's it all about at the end of the day, at the end of your life. Um, what, what are you going to look back at and see like that made a difference for someone else? Not like, Oh, that made a difference that people are looking at me or remembering me or anything, but what type of legacy did that leave for others? How did it impact the world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good answer. (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't, I didn't mean to offend anybody with any of those things. Like there's a lot of really good things about, you know, making money and having, um, you know, a higher status, you can do a lot of good things with that. So I didn't mean it in those ways at all. No, I mean, I, I think, I think you're, what you're saying makes sense. And, uh, you know, you, when you look back, um, I feel the same way. I mean, you, I just, I just feel like I would like to have, uh, you just, you just want to know that you did something meaningful, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look back mm-hmm. and you have all that stuff, I mean, I mean you know, I don't know. You see a lot of, I've personally seen a lot of, you know, rich, unhappy people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. money and success and those things clearly cannot buy happiness. But, you know, human life is, is so valuable to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I understand. Um, And it's one of the reasons I do, I try to do what I do. Um, yeah, yeah. I try to understand other people's points of views. I, I don't know. It's just, I think, I don't know. I think some people are just wired that way. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's something you can learn. I mean, maybe you can, I don't know. Right. Well, All right. So think, yeah, no, no, go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. Oh no. I just, uh, I mean, I kind of said it at the beginning too, like, um, the more, like as a believer in God, like a creator God, um, you know, the more that you kind of get to know him and his story of why he made creation anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, his heart is, he loves his creation. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, he loves all the differences of the culture and even like the landscape of the world that he, you know, created different places and different scenery and different people with personalities and just, I feel like um, uh, it it shows a little bit more of who he is in all of those different cultures and um, ways of doing things, and it it reflects more of him. And I I just think, you know, if we go through the day and miss that whole, miss that of who he is and the whole purpose of creating people, um, you know, we really miss out on life and the, the greater depths of what brings um, joy and meaning, I guess, that you just feel more um, 
yeah, fulfilled with there's a purpose for this life and purpose yeah. for people. And if you go through and miss it, then it's a shame. <laughs> it's like sad to, to think that. Yeah. Um, and not to get off topic here, but I just imagine like, I can I can only imagine like some of the things that you've seen as far as like nature's concerned like I think you kind of said it briefly like landscapes and you know mountains and trees and just how the world looks in different places and seeing the beauty in that um mm-hmm. you know like I've seen that and just in the few places I've been and mm-hmm. like I was just in Albuquerque, New Mexico a little while back and I, there are some mountains out there. I don't know what they're called. The Sandias mountains, I think. And mm-hmm. I remember driving out. They told me people like live there, told me to drive out, you know, down the freeway and look back at the mountains. And I just, I, I, I turned around and looked back at the mountains and you could kind of see just this, this breathtaking view. And I was mm-hmm. just dumbfounded for like a good half an hour I just literally mm-hmm. sat there and just looked at it and I just was like, God, <laughs> that is just mm-hmm. incredible. So right. I can't even imagine like the beauty and the things that you've seen around the world. And I, I, I guess I'm kind of projecting here about I just maybe the beauty and some of the things that you've seen. Oh yeah, definitely. No. Mind, mind boggling. Seriously. This- to think that it, those places even exist sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's so beautiful. Um, and this actually kind of leads into my next question, and this is really broad, and you can answer this kind of however you want, because um, this could go anyway, anywhere. Um, but I just kind of wanted to ask you about some of the things that you've seen, and this is kind of getting into more of the details of your travels. Um, so I just wanted to see if you were if you were willing to share some of the things that you've seen, some of the experiences that you had that you've had that have been impactful, that they've stuck with you, maybe some more than others. You know, what are some of the good experiences you've had, some of the bad experiences you've had um, in in your time traveling around the world? Um, is that too broad? <laughs> um. Because I mean, you you have stories. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I don't even know how we like. Yeah, I don't even know how we would um, hone in on because you've had so many. Um. give me a second here. Um. Get my camera back on. Um. I don't know. Like. Yeah. Maybe like. Hmm. Starting out, like. Maybe we'll we'll stick with like, what were some of the immediate experiences you had that you feel kind of start to shape your point of view? Like, mm-hmm. would like you would see something and be like, oh wow, like I had no idea it was like this, mm-hmm. or things that kind of started opening your eyes. Like, what are maybe some of those mm-hmm. initial experiences? Like maybe back like in India yeah maybe maybe kind of like in the beginning right yeah and like um yeah just to remember like I was around 18 at this time so Mm -hmm. um yeah so you know coming straight off the plane 
um, well, one time, even like um, before that, even just kind of going from one airport to the next, we kind of had to take a shuttle and we got we got to see, sorry, um, a main road, like a main highway. And again, like this is 98. So I know that if you're listening <laughs> and you're from India, it's kind of like, it's not like that anymore. Sorry, this is from a while ago. Yeah. Um, like there was just like this huge elephant, like ginormous elephant that this guy was riding on this highway with all these other cars, like decorated, painted, had um, like flowers all over it, just gorgeous. And you're just thinking like, how can this like, you know, nature and city just like thrown together? You know, yeah. that just kind of opens your eyes. Then straight off the plane as you're kind of walking around getting adjusted, um, women were coming up to us uh, our, our group and like offering their babies for us. Um, and again, this is 98. I don't know now, um, for us to take back with them because of the life being so difficult for them. Um, you know, they were just, that was really heartbreaking to see that a, a mom would love their child enough to want to give it up yeah. for the sake of a better life. You know what I mean? Like, I know that you can see it from the opposite perspective. Like how could she ever give up the baby? But no, just trying I, to yeah, see it through it. her eyes, right? Yeah, and then another one of the other things that really touched me um, in India when we went to the orphanages and kind of heard the background story of like, how are these kids coming? Why is it there are so many? Um, understanding a little bit about um, their at the time their traditions with um, their beliefs. Um, so, as a Hindu. Um, and again, I think this might be illegal now. I'm not sure. I don't want to say, but um, part of a, like a, part of the ceremony, if someone would die, um, for example, a man or like the father or husband, uh, if he would die for whatever reason, um, it's actually really honoring um, for the mother or a family member to throw the. Sorry, so they would be cremated when they die. I mm-hmm. didn't say that. And so for the, it would be very honoring to the family and a great sacrifice for a woman to that was married to him um, to throw him herself onto the flames um, and either die or get severe, you know, burns, things like that. And so a lot of the time at that time, there a lot of the kids were coming to the orphanage because a father had died. The mother threw herself onto the flames. Now they're there's no mom or dad anymore. And so they're just abandoned. Um, now again, that, you know, personal belief, that was their religion. So Mm -hmm. that was an honoring thing for them. Like they saw that as a really like beautiful sacrifice. We see it as, Oh my goodness, all these kids without parents, you know? So that really helped open my worldview of let's not jump to conclusions, conclusions and be so judgy right at the beginning. Let's see the background of why this is, you know what I mean? Like get Mm -hmm. a little bit, deeper there um you know and then just the the basic um you know daily living um being shocked at some of the houses and the villages where they would just have you know basically large sticks with maybe some sheets that would cover um more like a tent rather than you know a house Uh, but again like you know india is extremely diverse and has extremely rich as well and 
you know, everybody in between. So um, that does really help, um, yeah, just shape a lot of understanding of just a very, very different way to see the world, um, understand um, no running water. I mean, there was like a place where we stayed that um, a lot of them didn't even have like a pit toilet where you would like dig out a hole or anything to go to the bathroom. They would just have like a bathroom field, for example, and you would just right up there in the field would go. And I remember one of the places they stay, we stayed, like we had to take a flashlight out if we had to go at nighttime because there were like tons of snakes in that oh. bathroom field. And <laughs> But just knowing like, okay, for us, it was like, okay, we're spending one week at that village and then we're moving on. For them, like that's life, right? And we would just try to experience life with them like for example one bucket of water for our bathing for one week you know just thing after thing after thing um for us it was like huge and different and maybe strange or whatever way that we're interpreting it but for them it was just that's life and that's how it is and um so that was very very humbling and very um eye-opening at a young age to realize just don't take anything for granted and don't complain about all these petty things that we tend to complain about or expect our rights to have all these, you know, specialty things. And yeah, but yeah, that was, that's kind of a few things from India. Okay. Um, so there's some more, like, um, I don't know if this is jumping really far ahead, but last time we had talked, um, you had talked about, um, I don't remember where you were, but you were talking about getting into um, disagreements with local authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you were there as an educator, and they, do you remember what you were talking about? Um, and you were saying they were doing things and I don't know, you said they were, I don't remember if you said they were threatening you or disagreeing with you or pulling kids out of school or something. And Mm -hmm. you were telling me that you had to stay calm and not get emotional. And remember you were there to do Mm -hmm. your job. Right. Uh, What was, what was that? Yeah, that was more recently. Um, I won't say the details just to protect whoever (laughs) might hear or whatever, but, um, yeah, so there was just police, a police officer that came in to get one of my students, mine as in not, I wasn't their teacher, I was the director of the place, and um, one of the directors I did co-led, co- but um, it was for something that had happened like the night before or something, you know, just completely inappropriate to come into the school, disrupt basically the whole school because you know everybody saw in the hallway um marched down to the classroom um put the kid in handcuffs you know what I mean just like completely like unacceptable absolutely and so you know he didn't even clear it through the office or anything and um at least not like while I was there maybe he went to people above me or something but um, you know, as soon as that happened, I just pulled him aside and just 
yeah, said what I told you. Like, this is completely unacceptable. I can't believe that you would ever imagine just marching into this school without any type of um, warrant or, or permission or getting, you know, letting us understand the story. Like, it was just awful. Like, I just basically yelled at him of um, how inappropriate this was, how he had no right to do this, that even, even so, if the child not child, sorry, he was a teen, um, did something, like, handcuffs are completely unacceptable. Like, there's no reason, there was no fighting, there was no resistance, there was, you know, and just, like, let him have it. Um, all the different details that were happening, that happened, um, you know, just let him know he completely disrupted all the other classes because now the, the kids were all staring out the window and getting all crazy inside with you know, telling everybody what's happening and, um, yeah. And I just had him leave. I said, this is, this is just completely unprofessional. I can't believe that you would ever act like this. And then actually later, excuse me, that day he came back and apologized to me of, um, doing that. So, I mean, he definitely realized that he was stepping out of bounds. And like you said earlier, Sorry. Um, you know, my appearance is one thing, but inside with all the experience and different things that I've, you know, my heart for different things. Yeah. I'm a different person, like on the inside than what you would see and, per, you know, think of, I guess, judge on the outside. And so he maybe, I think this is from his type of response and apologizing, was thinking I was probably on the same page with him, you know, basically out to get these kids and put them in their place for whatever reasoning he had. And he just got smacked in the face with, no, that's not who I am. And I have, I won't have anything to do with that. And so, I mean, I just, I just can't stand things like that. Um, one time actually I just popped to my head in Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw now this, um, now again, if you're listening, it's not every family by any means, but it's more common to see, um, uh, physical and to the extent of taking it too far, physical, um, discipline by parents. Um, uh, what we would, what I would probably consider as abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw this happening in a parking lot as I was crossing the street. Um, some father likes, like hit his kid and shoved him in the car and then just proceeded to get in, and I don't know what happened because the um, windows were tinted, but I just marched myself over there as fast as I could and banged on the door um, so hard. He came out, and he was, like, well over six foot, and I just started screaming at him and Kyrgyz that he had no right to touch this child no matter what he did or who he is. Like, there's always other solutions that you can do that you can um, take if there's, you know, a discipline problem. And he just yelled at me that he was his father and he had all these rights and everything. And I just was like, well, if you touch him again, I'm running to the police. And basically I didn't mean for this result, but I basically shamed him, you know, this foreign girl, like yelling at this man and he, you know, got it together and um, obviously stopped and just kind of, you know, it stops, but I just feel like, you know, those moments when 
like, God forbid it's like straight in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just can't walk away. Like there's something in me that it would, I mean, if there have been times where I've walked away for a minute or like, you know, drove away, I, I can't even stand it for like 30 seconds before I have to turn around and go back. I, I think like what we were saying before, like at the end of the day, at e- in eternity, if I'm being accountable for what has happened and the opportunities presented to me, like I don't want to have any regrets no matter what the end result is, you know, like I just have this burning passion for standing for injustice, like no matter who it's done to or, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think having a few um, situations like that have really given me courage to be more bold and, um, you know, just call things as they are, you know, don't walk away. Don't make excuses for why, you know, like it's the culture, it's the whatever. Um, and just, yeah, stand up for people. Yeah. Um, you hear about stuff like that where just kind of like in the United States where you'll see people are so kind of enthralled in their own life where like if they see something bad happening somewhere, most people try to act like they don't see it. Mm-hmm. And you know, move on about their day. Um, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're one of those people that would get involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I know? can't. I couldn't live with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you tell? Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Iraq? Um, mm-hmm. You were telling me a while back about how you were you were saying you couldn't wait to get back to Iraq. And, um, Mm. one of your friends was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because the perception of Iraq is only what people see in the media. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, a different Iraq, right? Yeah. And, you know, of course I'll be extremely blunt in that. I, I didn't see, um, you know, in my face, um, you know, the war and the horrible things that were happening, like the, the bombings and the attacks. I, I, that's not the Iraq that I saw. I know that that definitely exists and it's hor- horrifying. Um, but I was kind of able to visit those who came from those situations and just hear their story. Um, in northern Iraq, it's actually the country of um, Kurdistan. They have their own, you know, ruling government and everything if you look at the United Nations, it's still under Iraq. Um, but that area is very safe. Um, the Kurdish government does a good job to uh, bring protection, um, at this point and, um, are welcoming to, you know, foreign aid. Um, and, you know, it just, it's just a shame that, the story ends at the bombings and the horrible attacks, right? And just thinking like, Oh, um, ISIS has pulled out. They're okay now. And then just move on to the next news story rather than acknowledge the aftermath, you know, the aftermath of all, um, you know, not only the physical destruction of all these homes and businesses and, you know, cities being destroyed, but the lives of people. I mean, okay, that they're in a safe place, praise God. You know, they're in a place where they can keep living and um, feel somewhat safe. But 
what are they bringing with them? They're bringing with them the images of seeing family members murdered, family members raped, um, their houses being burned. You know, these these tiny little children's minds. Could you imagine how how can they process um, all that they've seen being you know, stripped from their home, leaving everything behind, all their pictures, all their special memories. Um, that's great that they're in a safe place now, but could you imagine throwing those kids straight into school and being like, all right, time for learning. And here they're, you know, their whole world has been shaken and they don't even, you know, a lot of the the people there, they speak several different languages. So you have the Iraqi language, you have Syrian um, there's, um, a small population of Izidi people, which a lot of people have never even heard about. Um, you know, they all have different languages. So if you're going to bring these people from, you know, different areas, you might be throwing them into a brand new language of community or schools or, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot more to it and, um, you know, just giving the, the people a chance to share their story, to really, like, love on the kids, but not, you know, do anything too fast. Like, sometimes we had to scrap our, our game ideas for the for the camps and stuff because, you know, someone's having a little meltdown over there. Well, that's totally, <laughs> like, normal. Of course they're going to be having a meltdown, something triggered, or, you know, um, they just need to be loved and everything just needs to be stopped and focused on them for an hour. Um, we had like nights where, um, you know, these multiple different people groups are being thrown together in these areas that are safe, but, you know, they don't really have a chance to express their identity. So we would have these nights where they would come and teach us their traditional dances. And if they had any, um, traditional clothing that they brought with them or just, you know, sharing different things, um, just having them uh, giving a chance to do that, you know, and an opportunity to really, um, love life again for, for a glimpse of time, um, as they're healing, as they're processing, um, so, yeah, I mean, those were, like, the best summers. I love just going and um, spending time with the kids, but also spending time listening to women and hearing their stories and, you know, crying with those who needed to cry with and rejoicing with those. Like, they were also still, you know, getting married and having kids. So some might have been, like, new moms just having a baby. So, um, yeah, just really living life with them and, helping at least for that glimpse of a summer um, make some new memories and kind of help them through things. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate. Like you're saying the only images that we get to see of a lot of these areas are the, the war stricken areas. And mm -hmm. I, I think in my opinion, they paint a very negative picture of these areas. And I think that forms a lot of, um, people's opinions and thinking about not just the areas, but the people who come from those areas Right. where you get into a lot of the racism stuff. And yes, mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate that people don't try to, you know, figure it out on their own or, or go beyond right. the media. And I think even to be honest, outside of going to those places, I don't know how they would learn. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I mean. Well, even, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, even um, moving back to Ohio these past few months, um, I've gotten to know a really good friend from Iraq. Um, you know, they're here in the U.S. and <laughs> everywhere. And, um, you know, if people would just reach out and be their friend, <laughs> I know it might be awkward, but just somehow, you know, in the store or restaurant or however you're passing, just give them a smile or ask them if they need help with something or just say hello. Um, like they'll tell you their story. Like they're so desperate to make friends and to have people, you know, accept them and not look at them as a label or coming from this scary country or, you know, um, I mean, even at the gym, I've just like gotten to know a really great Syrian lady and we get together and walk sometimes or go out and, um, practice Arabic or just hear about her life. Um, you know, I will share this, which is kind of sad. Um, a a good friend I got to know in Jordan, um, she actually was the mom of one of the kids at the autism center. And she started coming to the center to, to learn herself, like the methods of how to work with him. And she said that she lived in, I won't say which one, one of the States, Mm -hmm. um, for four years. And she, um, you know, volunteered at the school where her kids went and, you know, tried to be involved. Um, she said never once during those four years was she ever invited to someone's house or, you know, kind of take an initiative to have a friendship with anybody. I mean, maybe people were nice at the school and like said hi and talked to her, you know, surfacey, but she said she never went to an American home, never celebrated any type of, you know, holiday. I just feel like, wow, what a shame, like, um, on us, like, being not welcoming. Like, she, you know, wore a hijab and, the, you know, the scarf and everything. So, I mean, it was obviously that she was from a different country or have a different belief or background or whatever. But I just wish that people would not be afraid to just welcome and, um, you know, just really share your lives with these people and, um, you know embrace the humanity of, um, you know, their story and just welcoming them and listening to them and valuing them, um, as human beings and not try to always attach, um, maybe what you've heard on the news or other experiences, um, to them as an individual and just give them a chance, you know, cause there's beautiful, really beautiful, wonderful people, um, you know, trying to make it, trying to make friends, trying to, um, yeah, just be in a place that's safe for their families and have opportunities. Yeah, it's um, it's it, I think it's easy for people to retreat to their stereotypes and mm-hmm. you know their ideas. Because um, I often think to myself that people's reality. Or what is, how's it go? Something like people's reality is their truth. So mm. like whatever they've created for their, for themselves, whatever story they tell themselves, you know, mm. that's their truth, even though it's right. not the truth, but that's their truth. So like, you know, you can probably talk about this better than I can, but like, I'm, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but like, I know like a lot of people mix up, um, Muslims and is it Sikhs? 
Oh, uh-huh. You know, because they both wear like um like the hijab um or they mm-hmm. wrap their their hair. Mm-hmm. And like I've heard is is it, is that right? Is it Sikhs? Um, you know, I am not very familiar with okay. that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you ca- I just know uh, go ahead, yeah. Well, no, but you kinda know what I'm talking about, like Yes. Uh-huh. Right. They're like, oh, just I, because- yeah, they're completely like different, you know, religions. Right. Uh-huh. But they look similar, so you'll have, you know, people calling Muslims Sikhs and people don't even know what Sikh. I wish I should I should have looked this up. I didn't even think about this. <laughs> it just popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. just stuff like that, like not even taking the time to even understand what you're looking at, you oh, know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and all that. And that's just I'm just beating a dead horse here. This is just har- I'm just harping on the things that are, are unfortunate about our country. Um, I'm not trying. Yeah. To, I'm not. I, I'm not trying to dog the United States. Um, I'm just saying we do have a lot of work to do. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, it's a disaster. Yes. <laughs> a lot yeah. of work to do. Um, I yep. don't want to keep harping on um, like negative experiences, but I do think they are important. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that that we talk about it because it's like um, when people see photographs of like things in other countries uh or video it's it it or they hear stories about things it kind of makes it real for them Mm -hmm. you know like i don't know if you saw that photograph um of the little girl that was being separated from her parents um at the border when Mm -hmm. uh ice was separating people the uh, i think mexicans at the border do you know what i'm talking about yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. And the little girl was crying because yeah. she was being separated. Oh, yeah. And like that, to see that image and feel mm-hmm. nothing, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know <laughs> what kind of person you are. Right. Um, especially if you have children, you know, or if you have, you know, nephews or nieces or someone that you love with a, with a young child. I I, mm-hmm. I I don't know what I would do if somebody tried to separate my son from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a violent person, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but I feel like that it would get violent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just saying that to say, you know, I, 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 I think it's very important when you share some of these experiences you have because it makes it real for people and even the small audience like that this podcast reach reaches. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important for them to hear this stuff uh, because it might, it might inspire them or spark something in them to do more research, to maybe go look at something, to donate, to even travel or reach out Mm -hmm. to someone. Um, So I I guess I'm saying that to say is, is is there any other kind of, um, I don't know, impactful story or kind of a heartbreaking, you know, something that you've seen that you think is important to share. Um, or maybe even, you know, something beautiful, you know, that, that you've, that you've seen, um, that might not be known to, you know, the common folk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, one thing that kind of 
pops up is um, in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, I the first time I was connected with some of the Kyrgyz people um, that had children with autism mm-hmm. um, was just mind blowing to hear their stories because at that time, and this was, oh, goodness, sorry, um, 2011 or so, 11, 12 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, they were still in the mindset of, you know, if there's any type of disability, and again, this isn't everybody, but a lot, uh, a large majority, um, If there's any type of wrong uh, deformity or mental illness or anything like that, um, you know, they were still being told at that time, um, there's nothing that we can do. Just give them up in an institution, um, give them up for adoption. Um, I'm sure other horrific methods they were being offered. Um, Or, you know especially kind of more in the villages, less in the cities, although it still happens more in like a social shame. But, you know, just accusing parents of, like, you did something wrong, like what evil did you do that you're being punished for or that you're being, you're cursing our family by bringing this, you know, things like that. And the heroic thing I wanted to share is that, yes, that was the majority parents were afraid and I don't judge them because like they, they had horrific pressure and prejudice and discrimination against them to the point of like some, you know, being cast out of their family or disowned or abused themselves. I'm not judging for what they decided, but the ones that did decide to keep their child and say like, no, I do not believe that. Um, I don't even care that there's nothing to help me, but I'm not giving up my child. I'm not um, giving up hope, even though they don't know what to do. And it was like so extremely difficult for them. Um, And they were standing alone and a lot of times cut off completely from their families. And a lot of times, you know, one spouse would leave the other, um, mom or dad, vice versa. If one wanted to get rid of this child, the other one was like, absolutely not, no matter what, like I'm keeping it. Um, so they were just heroic, amazing parents that I got a chance to meet. And like, these were the, the heroes that actually kept their child. All the others were just either street kids or in orphanages or institutions. And you know, what a privilege it was to meet with them and teach them these methods that they had been waiting their child's whole life for, you know what I mean? And here, um, I felt specifically for that country that God had like his eye on those parents and wanted them to know that they haven't been forgotten, that he's bringing help for them and that they are being rewarded for their faithfulness and taking a step of faith to keep their child. And, um, I don't know if this is exactly what you're going for, but, um, I just wanted, okay. Um, you know, celebrate those heroes that, went against the grain of their culture or against the grain of the common thinking or even like their religious beliefs. Um, 
to make a difference for humanity. Like those children, no matter if they had a physical or a mental or whatever type of disability or challenge, like they were still human beings, like people with souls, right? And for them, the parents to acknowledge that and not give up fighting for their right, the, the rights of those ch- children and, um, you know, education, we got to see, you know, within even a year, um, I mean, I could tell you story after story of all these kids, um, but some of the special ones that stick out were, like, there was this one child, he was about nine years old at this time when I started working with his family, like, this amazing superhero mom that was not afraid of, like, the tantrums and, like, doing the hard, you know, getting it, the hard work done. Um, he, at that point, had been nonverbal, never spoken at all. Um, mm-hmm. He just you know, grabbed what he wanted or screamed and tantrum for what he wanted. And that's how he got through life. He was never demanded to use sign language or a picture or, um, you know, vocal words. And within the first, I would say, I have to look back at my notes, but with less than six months, he said his first word and started building vocab like, miraculously like amazing Mm -hmm. to the point of by the time I left like three years later he was completely fine with not okay not cognitively um, having conversations as you and I would have but with his speech and word development could totally answer any question ask any question he wanted you know to um, tell you his thoughts or his wants or desires just miracle after miracle where we were able to go back and show doctors and psychiatrists and different people like these kids that they had originally done diagnosis for saying there's absolutely nothing that you can do. It's better for your family to just give them up. And then for them to see with, um, you know, basic therapy and methods, um, for them to see for the first time, the improvement of each children like it really rocks their world as well as professionals to see wow we really need to be open to the new developments and bring um more hope to the families that are coming to us that there is something like let's start referring them to these places for therapy so like those moms oh my word they're just like the most amazing amazing people to literally look back and see because they chose to stand for their children, like the whole country is now different. Like the whole country has resources um, to help. And I just feel like it just takes those, even a small amount. I think like the first seminar I did had a handful of maybe 12 families, something like that. Um, And then like we grew grew as, um, you know, word of mouth, people heard um, but that's basically, I'm not saying like, that's all it takes as it's, it's easy, but it just takes those ones that are willing to stand up against the norm or against injustice and take a chance, you know, for some miracle to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, wow. <laughs> Um, you don't hear about that stuff, you know, <laughs> Right? You, you I know. You, how would someone ever hear about that? 
Um, right. They want to cover. And you know these. No, go ahead. Mm. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. I mean, that's where it started with these handful of fam- families, and then grew. It was parent driven. I mean, I was just there to support with like trainings, but they got the grant money. They contacted other countries. They started networking. They held these conferences. They invited, um, you know, other medical professionals to come. Like they were just not just kept it in their own country, but they started reaching out like to um, all the countries around them, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, even Afghanistan, like, um, it didn't stop there, you know, like it just takes people to really like love that or have that passion of that one thing, you know, it doesn't have to be, you can't change every aspect of the world, but you can, whatever your passion is, can really make a pretty big dent in the world. You know, if you don't give up hope for that one injustice that you want to fight for, you know, and just basic loving people as they are and breathing life, <laughs> breathing life into them. Yeah. And that's kind of leads into um, the next thing I was wanting to talk about um, was kind of getting a little more detail uh, on what it is that you do. Like you kind of talked about it briefly um, where you're saying you provided support you know, mm-hmm. And maybe it's different in the places you go. Like maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe you you kind of see what the need is within your realm of you know your scope of, of of gifts and talents and skills, and you try to facilitate what you can. Is that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that how it works? Or yeah, I mean, it's kind of developed and evolved over time, and what what's been needed. But um, yeah, basically. Like, say, back in Guatemala when I kind of started traveling or, like, living longer-term overseas, um, just helping support that uh, school at the orphanage um, with basic um, classroom management (laughs) with with behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't have effective teaching if the class is running all over the classroom and standing on chairs and throwing things and being bullies and, you know, bullying each other and... All that stuff. So, um, I spent a lot of time on basic classroom management, how to really focus on, um, yeah, just <laughs> developing good behavior and really building character, not just punishing for bad things and giving rewards for good things, but really developing a character where the students are wanting to, you know, learn and improve. So, that's one aspect. Um, I went back for more training and certifications with um, behavior analysis and trying to support um, and even, you know, just larger scale, you know, with the alternative high school with kids, they're not kids, sorry, teens um, who were coming from being, yeah, in prison for a time or heavily involved with drugs or stealing or, you know, whatever it might be, um, really helping shape their character as in seeing their potential. Like they don't have to get stuck in this type of lifestyle. They have the potential like anybody else and just really celebrating their talents, their abilities, their gifts. Um, But also uh, supporting parents and how to cultivate that as well. So for example, um, in 
Kyrgyzstan, I started doing a lot of the seminars focused on parents, um, focused, uh, sorry, given to parents, um, because at that time there wasn't any professionals, you know, there weren't teachers or therapists um, available. So parents, it was, <laughs> they, they were the ones that had the kids and responsible. So whether yeah. it be a parent or any type of family member, or even sometimes they would have like a nanny or type of, you know, a neighbor that was wanting to help. It doesn't matter, but someone investing into those kids' lives. So behavior, um, how to deal with that and, um, uh, developing language for those who are nonverbal, that could be autism or Down syndrome or any other type of challenge. Um, and then, you know, social skills, um, for the, you know, developing social skills for children, also academics, how to build on a nice, slow pace, not slow, sorry, appropriate pace for the specific need of the child. Um, and so it started, you know, with parents or other family members, caretakers, and then, you know, my goal is to try to get it into the schools so that teachers are equipped. Um, that was one of my, um, desires as a classroom teacher is I didn't want to just send my students with special learning challenges or other types of challenges out of the classroom to get special help. I wanted to keep them in with the rest of their peers and know how to include them, but also modify the lessons and activities um, appropriately. So, um, you know, it, it first started with, um, caretakers, things like that, and then went to more um, schools and teachers. Um, in Jordan, um, it started off at aut an autism center to teach the therapist, um, and then same thing, kind of switched into schools that were open, um, and they're, they're becoming much more open. They've done some amazing things there um, to start welcoming students with um, special challenges, like significant challenges, um, into the classroom, training teachers and therapists and other, um, one-on-one -on -one aides. So yeah, I guess in a nutshell, it's just, um, starting kind of, it's necessary in isolation with the student and, you know, an adult or some type of individual investing into them. And then with the end goal, when possible, if possible, as soon as possible, getting them integrated into the culture, into the classroom, you know, um, because, I mean, for their benefit. And I think that that can be an amazing um, experience and opportunity for them. But also in order to bring long-term change, you know, it comes from when you're a child, like you're developing your, your perspective of what is this world? What do I think about this world? How do I understand special needs and other people? And so if you're able to start teaching, um, it doesn't have to be at elementary level. It definitely is fine. Older, it's just a little bit harder <laughs> because people tend, tend to be set in their ways as they get older. Yeah. Um, but if we can expose them to people of different abilities, uh, different looks, different um, um, deformities or limitations or whatever, and accept them as they're part of our culture, they're part of my community, they're part of my class, um, 
then as these children are growing up to become leaders, they have such a more beautiful, richer understanding of how can I, I mean, these, they won't see them as separate, right? They won't see yeah. them as I'm afraid because I don't know about that child. It's like, oh yeah, we had a kid with autism in our boss. He was my friend. Like I played with him or, oh yeah, my friend with Down syndrome. Like he was great. Like he always loved, you know, talking about such and such. Um, and I think that that is another huge key for bringing long-term change over like a whole country or a whole culture. I look back and granted I was only able to be there for two and a half years, but I see, um, these students that accepted the child with autism that I, um, was a one-on-one aid with in the, in the regular classroom in this amazing school that welcomed for the first time someone with, you know, a severe case like this. Um, they were shocked to see where this student started. And then by the end of the year where he finished by all the improvements he made, they, they just had no idea that it was possible. But also these students, and this was over um, fourth, fifth, and now he's into his sixth grade year. Like they, I mean, there's no doubt in his, in the kids' minds um, this child with autism is part of their classroom. He is one of the students. He is their friend. He is learning. He does presentations. And we're, we're all like dead silent when he gets a presentation because his, you know, speech is so, so quiet or, you know, like they just, um, I feel like these are going to be such amazing leaders for their country to make long-term change, you know, because they've experienced it and they're living it and they've accepted him and they, um, yeah, it's just this like huge snowball effect that I feel like um, as these you know heroes are rising up in all these different countries. Hopefully, um, you know we'll start to see a lot more changes over the years as the kids start growing up into leaders now, having had had all these experiences. Yeah, it's, it seems um, not to. I just diminish it any kind of way, but it, it seems so simple. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, to uh-huh. just expose people to other people and you get, you know, amazing results. Um, I've always... Then, no, go ahead. No, just real quick. I think the reason why, unfortunately, it's not so simple is because whether it be you know, parents or other adults in these kids' lives, they, who are my, maybe set in their ways of us, you know, not accepting or whatever it might be, are constantly fighting against what these kids are learning and accepting, right? And so they're being told at home maybe that, like, I don't want you playing with that kid. I don't, I don't want you going to this place or yeah. being with that person. And that's why it's a little bit of a delay or... I don't know. Those are just my initial thoughts, but I'm sure there's more, more to it than that, but maybe that's why it's not so simple. Right. It's, it's like the solution is simple, but it's not Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you got to deal Mm -hmm. with all the human stuff. Right. You know, people and you kind of got to get over it. Um, So my next question is how do you, and if it's too personal, you don't have to really get into it. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, how do you deal with 
a lot of the things that you've seen, um, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of the challenge stuff, like how do you, how do you compartmentalize it? Like, how do you deal with it? Um, and, and I know mm -hmm. you said you're, you're religious and, and, and I'm sure that helps. Um, mm -hmm. but how do you deal with it? How do you, how do you cope with what you've seen? Mm. What do you do with it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, there are moments where, you know, I can't sleep at night for a couple of days or something just because you're tortured by images that keep replaying or something. So it's not, you know, all easy or um, simple by any means. Mm -hmm. I think having... Um, you know, some pretty solid supportive people that you can um, just share everything with and that they, even though they might not have seen it and experienced it themselves, they can at least sympathize with, oh, like, I, I couldn't imagine that or, you know, oh, what the tragedy or what, like, a sad thing or, you know, what an exciting thing or, you know, just having other people to help um, process or... Um, I have a really amazing family that's been very supportive through all of this. Mm -hmm. Very, um, yeah, excited about the different people and the different places I've been able to go and um, befriend and things. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think like what you said, just really like praying and just constantly, you know, I, I, I like constantly ask God to see um, through his eyes, let me see this world that we have his understanding, like he understands and just, um, a, like a love for people like he has. And I think that really helps, um, just knowing that there's a greater power <laughs> yeah. over, um, you know, what's happening and that justice will be done in the end if we don't see face to face right now. But yeah, it is promised that it's coming. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think a lot of people, um, in my experience and what I've seen, they they don't reach out and they don't do things that maybe they want to out of fear of their world being shattered. Like, like I've personally experienced a lot of people who, like, I'll be talking about something, like, for example, like police injustice, you know, and police brutality. And... Um, like I might be talking to a white person about that and I've experienced it where they, for them to admit that that is happening mm -hmm. breaks down their reality and like mm -hmm. kind of this bubble that they've created for themselves about, you know, the world and this safe place for them where the police mm -hmm. are all good and everything is cherries and roses and, you know, and, Mm -hmm. And if a person doesn't have a good foundation and you break that down for them, not everybody's built to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. It's been kind of my experience. And um, I wonder if that is more of the reason why a lot of people don't do more. I don't know if they're not mentally tough. I don't know if they can't deal with mm -hmm. it. Because it's, it's earth-shattering, like, mm -hmm. no matter kind of like, I think there's a moment in a lot of people's lives where they get the opportunity to evolve 
and learn more and become more. And some people, you know, take that leap of faith. Others don't. Um, like this might sound funny to you, but like, I think it was, I don't remember what age I was. Um, but I remember, and it was sometime maybe when I think I was at Maranatha, um, well, I just said the school. <laughs> I don't think it exists anymore. It's, it's not even there. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, where when I started getting treated differently, I didn't know mm-hmm. why it was happening to me. And then mm-hmm. I discovered why. And I remember coming home to my mom and saying, Mom, why didn't you tell me I was black? you know because like you're a kid and you don't know you're just a kid right and you're living and you're playing and you're doing stuff you learn hate you learn Mm -hmm. discrimination and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. i think and you know as you get older you're exposed to more of that stuff and so i was just saying that to say that was one of the moments in my life where my world Mm -hmm. began to break down (laughs) And I got to, I started to learn that there's a different America or world for, um, people of color and, Mm. you know, other religions and that sort of thing. So I guess I was just saying all that to say that, Mm. um, I guess a lot of people, I don't think go further in life because of fear of having their reality broken. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't, and I don't, I don't even know how to offer advice to anyone other than you just got to take a leap of faith, man. <laughs> and yeah. it's going to be ugly, you know, and, but hopefully you can find the beauty in, in it somehow, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling there. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. You brought up some really good points. Yeah. I don't know if it's a matter of, I think what you said, um, earlier, um, a ways back about, um, like the information that you're given becomes your truth or your reality. Yeah. Your reality is really... your, is your truth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think that's what I it think is. That's huge. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not making excuses for anything, but I, you know, got firsthand experience living in different countries where, um, news and information on the internet is blocked and, um, you know, manipulated, manipulated or just, um, censored so that you only hear a certain thing, like whatever the government is wanting you to hear. If there is an article or whatever out there, that's the only thing you'll hear on that topic. Right. So that was a little bit scary when I first got smacked in the face with, um, with hearing, like knowing that, and then maybe having connection with family or friends back home and being like, that's not what we're getting. Like, you know, the, <laughs> the news was completely, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that just really shook my world of like, oh, I don't know what to believe. Like, I can't believe anything. Like, it was just really scary. And I know that that's happening like all the time. I mean, we're constantly trying to figure out, you know, I mean, that was that was a ways back, like years back that I first got smacked in the face with that. But I know that it's happening even more frequently. Currently, you know, everybody was like, how, 
how can we know it's true? You know, like, yeah. who do we know to trust or believe on these stories and everybody's perspective or I don't even know, but I think that's what, that's so true. Like what you were saying, um, if you're believing a lie, whether you're afraid of the truth or whether you've been told, you know, um, that's just, I don't know. It's, uh, it's scary to think, but if you're willing to step outside your comfort zone and be exposed or like get your hands dirty of, you know, let's, let's see what's really true. Let's, let's see what's really happening here. Um, being exposed to something that may have scared you in the past or you were hesitant to. Um, maybe it's even just a matter of slowly and gradually. Um, I, I mean, I, I look back and, um, you know, my first experience with poverty in India was pretty hard, whereas now, not that it's any less of a tragedy, um, but I can process it a little um, more effectively yeah. um, because I've been exposed to it so frequently and I can just jump in and love those people, you know, get dirty right away. Um, whereas, you know, the first couple of times it was kind of like, <gasps> like, I can't stop crying or I can't stop, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever. Where <laughs> um, it's just like, come on, like, you got to <laughs> put on your big girl pants and do your job and just like, like, just know it's so much more effective for those people if you just like stop with the sympathy. I don't know how to say this gently. Sorry. Like, it doesn't help if you're just, um, running away because of fear or too sad for them. Like that doesn't help them. No. It helps them to like be that steady, constant, like, I don't know that stronghold for them, almost like you're fighting for them and you're going to, you know, be their advocate and you're going to love them, but you're not just going to like crumble into pieces and be like, Oh, I can't even stand this. Like, it's so sad. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, if you want to go do that by yourself, that's fine. And like, I'm not saying don't be sad for them. I'm saying like, love them and sympathize with them. But I've heard so many therapists maybe or people that have been wanting to work with special needs kids, but then when they got it actually exposed to it, you know, hands on, they're like, I don't, I can't do this. It's just too sad. Or it's just, I can't, you yeah, know, and it's like, it's how is that helping them? If you just walk away, like that's even worse. I mean, I understand like, okay, go process it, go like take a couple days away if you need to, but how is that helping anybody? It's not like the the most effective person is just, all right, get your straight face on. And when they're throwing their tantrum and spitting your face and throwing stuff and pulling your hair, then like, okay, you done now. All right, well, let's get, you know what I mean? It's like, then that's when they start learning. They start seeing like, I'm, I'm not going to shake this person and I'm not going to get away. I don't know. I guess that's, lots of different tangents right there but um yeah see this is yeah i mean i guess this, just, you're, this is why i think you're a superhero <laughs> no <laughs> this is why i think you're a superhero because I, I know a lot of i don't not a lot i know some people that have worked in like just in the states in like um like child care services like for the state or the government oh, mm-hmm. and they they've seen broken up homes and children abused 
and mm-hmm. like on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's like ruined their lives to an extent, you know, yeah. because it's so horrific and it's so like, cause you're a human being and you have a heart, you have feelings and you're like, Oh my yeah. God. Like, how is this even, how is this even happening? Um, so I, I don't, I don't think everybody's built for that. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, don't, I, if anything that I said was ever offensive, I, no, no, I don't think it is. I know that like, I'm actually, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm just like, just what's the word I'm singing your praises. Like, I think we need more people like you. Um, cause you're, well, you're very effective. Well, uh, we, I can see that it can be extremely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you know, for example, the stories that you shared like that is just day after day after day of things that seem like there's an impossible end to, and I can understand how that could be just devastating to carry that. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you can kind of think, I mean, I I guess the person would have to have, you know, a true passion for it. I'm not saying do something that you're not really passionate about. That's going to like eat you alive. Like don't, don't do that. (laughs) Um, But, um, (laughs) if you can just see it as, all right, I might not be able to change this whole neighborhood, but at least I can help this one person and it, that's worth it, right? Like it's worth it for that one person for me to stay in this um, rather than just feel like, oh, I can't, there's no way I can help this whole place. I'll just walk away, you know, like that at least helps me um, kind of process a little bit. And of course, like, like we said before, don't carry any of this on your own. Make sure you have a supportive um, environment to help process and mm-hmm. carry these burdens and these stories and um, and just take it a little bit at a time, you know, like ease your way into what you can handle and then challenge yourself with a little bit more. But just know like every single tiny little thing does make a difference and like don't give up, <laughs> even though it's not changing everything. Um one person's life is, is worth it all, you know? Yeah. I think it's good advice. Um, it's very good advice because you can get down depressed and in the dumps and, you mm-hmm. know, you see that one situation, you know, where there's hope and I mean, that can, I can, I, well, I know what that sort of thing's done for me. It, it keeps you going or it has kept mm-hmm. me going in situations Not like I'm, I haven't definitely been involved in anything you've been in, like involved in, but, <laughs> um, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you doing on time here? I got other things I want to ask you. <laughs> oh, how are you? I feel like I'm talking too much. Sorry, I'm fine. But okay, yeah. Um, you want. I want to shift gears just a little bit, and um, I think what I'm going to end up doing with this podcast is it's it's going to be long. I and I had this feeling it was going to be long. Um, I'll probably just end up breaking it into two parts. Um. And maybe like this is the point where I'll do it, and I'll put out the second part next week. Um, and maybe this is a good point to shift gears, and I'll start some of the, the continuation of this episode. Um, and like edit out anything <laughs> that I said or things that are rambling, just edit it. Out that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um. So okay. So you talked to me um, before about discrimination and you experiencing discrimination. Um, and I found that I don't want to say, I, don't, I didn't find that ha ha funny, 
but I found mm-hmm. it uh, it was it was a it was a it was an interesting thought to me because you being a um, Caucasian person, mm-hmm. you would not experience that in the United States. Right. I mean, unless you went to a, I don't know, a specific area somewhere, but generally speaking, a white, a white person is not going to experience discrimination, generally speaking. Um, mm-hmm. in the United States. Now you'll experience it as a woman. I'm not trying to take mm-hmm. that away from you by any means. Um, but I remember you talking to me about experiencing discrimination where you were the minority in mm-hmm. other places. Um, do you remember talking about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and where, where, um, where was that at? Um, I mean, there was a few places. Uh, so, like, the first time was more um, in Miami. Actually. No, <laughs> Miami, I was here. Florida. It was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was basically, like, the area I lived, um, you know, it was predominantly, I mean, it was a mix of all different countries and ethnicities and backgrounds and stuff, but predominantly, you know, Central America. And, um, I, at the school where I taught, um, my, all of my students were either from Latin American backgrounds or I had one from Romania and one from Taiwan. There were no like Caucasian, um, white students at all. Um, which was fine. Like I felt, I loved that. And I felt very like welcome from my school, but, um, like in the community and this wasn't every place by any means, but a lot of maybe grocery stores or sometimes restaurants, um, like they didn't like me being there. They, um, even if I tried to speak Spanish with them, a lot of times they would ignore me or, um, you know, I just, definitely got the impression of like we don't want you here we don't want you shopping with us like why are you here like you don't fit in um and you know just in general I I mean and not I'm not I don't want to compare that with anything that other people have gone through but it just was a tiny little taste of I don't fit in here like I definitely am feeling I do not belong and nobody wants me here and you know so anyway, I w- I'm really thankful that I was able to have that because, um, and again, like it was just a tiny little glimpse, but I'd rather have experienced it a little bit and know a tiny bit of what that feels like than not have ever experienced. Um, and then when I was in like Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Jordan, there were times, um, you know, I was, well, in Uzbekistan, I was the very first foreigner to ever live in my village. And they were, they were very kind and welcoming to me. But, um, sometimes in, like, if I would go into the city, like to the market or something like that, and there were any type of political things going on in the news, like I would definitely get harassed and, um, yelled at to go back to my country. Like, we hate you. We hate, why are you here? Um, and let's see, I guess some of the other, well, well, you yeah, don't have to go through all of it. Um, you, oh, you, okay. yeah, you don't have to have to go through all. I was just, I was saying that or want to bring that up because I was wondering, um, did, did, do you believe that that helped you 
um, or that's helped, I guess, enlighten, you know, you and, and, and open your mm-hmm. eyes as to, like you were saying, you got a taste of that. Yeah. You know, and that is like, maybe you now can understand, um, discrimination better. Right. Because yeah. of those experiences, I guess is what I was kind of mm-hmm. wondering. Yeah, definitely. Even like, um, uh, going around with, uh, a child with special needs, um, there were times even in the U S where I was with a student, maybe I was doing like a, a a session and we were going out in public for something and they would have like a really, really violent tantrum or something in situation. Um, I was able to feel again, just a tiny little taste because like parents deal with this like 24 seven, but I, I could feel like people looking at me, like, you know, judging, why is your child like having a tantrum and being a brat and blah, 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 all these other things that they're immediately like judging right from just looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I'm, yeah, like you said, I'm so thankful having those moments because it gives me a tiny little glimpse of, you know, what these, what a lot of parents and other, you know, types of people are dealing with on a consistent basis. And it just really, yeah, cause yeah, makes you more aware. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, um, kind of like to stay in their bubble in their mm-hmm. comfort zone um for obvious reasons and you know getting out of that clearly you know exposes you to more and helps you be more empathetic towards others i think um, yeah definitely yep mm-hmm. so that's good um yeah thank you for listening to part one of this episode of the grit podcast uh superhero and world traveler Uh, This was a long episode, so I had to break it up into two parts. I'll put out the second part next Sunday. And uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, go into white supremacy and talk about a few things relating to that uh, and that topic. So please uh, tune in, and I hope to see you soon.